This is the KOTO Community Radio News for Friday, July 29th. I'm Julia Caulfield. In today's headlines, Telluride sees decline in visitors this season, search and rescue soars to new heights, getting green fuel up, up and away, and a mountain weather forecast. From the gondola line to the farmer's market, some Telluride residents have noticed a quieter summer tourism season than in years past. But do the numbers back up this feeling of quiet? With a summer tourism check-in, KOTO's Gavin McGough has more. When Isabella Polos moved to town last summer and began work as a baker, she remembers being shocked by the number of tourists. Although she was new to Telluride, she had a distinct feeling that the crowds were out of hand. Last summer was ridiculous. It was something I've never experienced, and in particular that I think no one expected and no one was ready for. You couldn't walk down Main Street. There were people everywhere. It would take you 20 minutes to walk from the park to Butcher and Baker. Like, we would be banking 10 cakes a day and they would all sell in an hour at the bakery. So how does this summer feel? It's nothing like last summer. Many others in town, particularly those working in the service industry, speak of a similar decline in tourist traffic. Train Pham is a server at a fine dining restaurant in town and has lived in Telluride for the past 12 years. I've talked to a lot of people who work other restaurants as well, and we all seem to agree that it has significantly decreased from last summer. Tourism statistics confirm this feeling amongst locals. Kira Skinner, the executive director for the Telluride Tourism Board, says that lodging rates are down even when compared to pre-pandemic levels. Our total destination occupancy um, has decreased by 14% year over year. And then when we look at 2022 compared to 2019, we're seeing a 6% decrease in occupancy rates. Occupancy in Telluride has declined more sharply than in Mountain Village. We see the town of Telluride occupancy down by 21% year over year and down 14% year over three years. So when we compare 2022 to 2019. Carl Hauser runs bookings at a local hotel and his business has felt the impacts of those numbers. Well, we're just down in general. I've responded by lowering my rates mid and early week to supplement and to bring up our occupancy rates for those those uh, lower times. Um, I think they were seeing just as many people in town, but no, not but a lot less people staying in town of Telluride. You know, if you watch the town of Telluride between 10 a.m. and 4 p.m., just droves of people in the streets, and then they all go away. The disruptions caused by the pandemic are certainly at play here, Skinner says. In many ways, COVID-19 made Telluride a uniquely attractive destination. During the pandemic, we saw an increase in drive traffic and a demand for the outdoors. You know, we're not surprised that the number is normalizing, dare I say normalizing now. There are an expanded number of choices for people, cities and beach destinations, as well as international travel. Other national and international factors could be at play as well. Inflation may also be a factor as half of American travelers say high travel prices have kept them from traveling in the past month. Um, And we expect fuel prices will have an effect on the regional day traffic as well. 
Skinner reports that the tourism board is not nervous about the declines, at least at their current levels. At this point, the, the tourism board is not concerned. For some, the notable decline in tourists is actually a source of relief rather than concern. Isabella Polo says balancing the financial necessity of tourism and its effects on worker burnout is important. So I think it's important that we have people here, obviously, for the service industry, we need to get paid. Tips are the biggest part of our paycheck. But when the quality of your service has to go down because there are too many people to serve, or you're working six or seven days a week, it's not beneficial to everyone. Trang Pham speaks similarly about balancing the economic benefits of tourism with its effects on quality of life. Definitely I'm making a lot less this year or this summer compared to last. Um, but also last summer, I felt like I just worked a whole lot. And then I didn't really get to do a lot of the things that I enjoy. Um, this summer, I have more time to be outside, have more time to enjoy people, um, and just like just have a really nice work-life balance. The board is aware of the negative effects of over-tourism. Skinner says finding balance is an ongoing part of their mission. I think the tourism board's role is to balance visitation and economic vitality with destination capacity and what the infrastructure can handle. We will be working with the town of Telluride on a destination sustainability program. Because those plans remain in the works, Skinner declined to comment on details. One recent morning, socked in by monsoon and seeming to enjoy a very slight reprieve from pandemic summers past, Main Street did, indeed, feel calm. But with a full slate of festivals between now and October on the one hand, and the national economy in a constant state of flux on the other, who's to say what the future holds? For KOTO, this is Gavin McGough. On a rainy afternoon, an Airbus H-125 helicopter takes off from the Telluride Regional Airport. The helicopter is the newest member of the San Miguel County Sheriff's Office to be used for search and rescue missions and fire spotting. It is a high-performance single-engine helicopter primarily designed for law enforcement and search and rescue work. That's Daryl Egner, one of the helicopter pilots. Primarily, this one is capable of, of carrying fairly large loads, um, either internally or under a, what they call a swing or a hoist. And uh, it's just unusual in that it's such a powerful helicopter that it's, it's able to carry large loads. In fact, it can lift more than it weighs. The H-125 is built to perform well at high altitudes. It's the only model of helicopter to land on and take off from Mount Everest at 29,000 feet. The aircraft was recently gifted to the sheriff's office by an anonymous donor. San Miguel County Sheriff Bill Masters says it's going to be a game changer for their work. Getting our, our rescue teams in quickly into the field and, and also evacuating um, injured people uh, and searching for those people that, that might uh, be lost or, or we know they're injured but we can't necessarily find them, that's going to be a, a great resource for us really all year round, uh, not just in the summertime but in the wintertime with all our backcountry skiers that we have these days, that's going to be a, a real big asset for us. 
After lifting out of the airport, the helicopter heads southwest towards Wilson Peak and El Diente, two 14ers near Telluride, and the location of many search and rescue missions. Skirting fields of scree, following creek beds, and peering into forests, the helicopter provides a view you could never get on foot. But it's not just the vantage point that's an asset. It's the time. I would think the easiest way to explain it is what would normally have been a four to six hour to get to a typical hiker is more like 20 minutes now. I mean, it's, uh, and, and as you know about the golden hour, people that have fallen or, or certainly any kind of compound fractures or bleeding events, uh, you have a much better chance with the helicopter than you're ever going to have with, you know, having to drive yourself or hike yourself up to that same locale. The helicopter touches back down at the airport. On this flight, there weren't any rescues to conduct or fires to put out. A sow and three cubs is the most exciting sighting. But for those who do have the unlucky fortune to need a rescue, the Airbus H125 will hopefully make a tough day a little bit lighter. As climate change becomes more front and center across the world, communities are looking to transition away from fossil fuels. It's hard to imagine a carbon-neutral world without considering airplanes. Commercial aviation contributes about 2.5% of annual global CO2 emissions from fossil fuel use. But some airports are starting to find ways to bring that number down. Today, we're rebroadcasting a story from KOTO's Matt Hoish, originally aired in January 2022. It might be hard to tell, but that's the sound of a plane with lower carbon emissions. The aircraft is refueling on the tarmac at the Telluride Regional Airport, which, last year, began integrating Sustainable Aviation Fuel, or SAF, into its operation. I guess a simple way to explain it, it's non-petroleum. You're not using oil, you're using vegetation, you're using uh, used vegetable oils, those kinds of things, into the manufacture of this fuel. Kenneth Manpa is Telluride's airport director. According to Manpa, Telluride is one of two airports in Colorado using the fuel. SAF has a lot of upsides. It can reduce aviation emissions by up to 80%. And it's interchangeable with conventional fuel, which helps on the equipment front. You don't have to change your infrastructure. You don't have to have it in a separate tank or anything else. The downside? Well, it's very expensive. Supply is one factor contributing to that cost. SAF is very limited in the U.S. That's according to Richard Thacker, Director of Integration and Operational Strategy at Atlantic Aviation, a company that services providers across the country. That's the real challenge with SAF right now. It's not particularly new technology, but again, it is very, very limited in quantity. And so it's very difficult to you know, get it to markets, especially in the interior portion of the, of the country. Demand is another factor. A lot of airports, according to Thacker, are asking for SAF. The requests are coming from coast to coast, and the answer is always the same. We're doing our best to get our hands on as much of supply as we possibly can but right now it's, it's very limited. That limited supply also complicates the green aspect of the fuel. Atlantic supplies SAF to Aspen-Pitkin County Airport, the other spot in Colorado using it. Thacker notes they had to be very thoughtful about transporting the fuel almost 1,200 miles to the mountain town. We didn't want the, the headline to be, dirty truck delivers clean fuel. So we made sure that the transport trucks were utilizing renewable diesel 
to transport the, the product. And then we did the equation on that and made sure the carbon benefit or the loss of the carbon benefit of the SAF was minimal, and it was. Several major airlines, including United and British Airways, have used SAF. And there's a chance supply, and therefore cost, will be less of an issue in the future. Last year, the Biden administration announced a goal to ramp up domestic SAF production from the current level of roughly 4.5 million gallons per year to 3 billion by 2030. Dr. Tracy Dodd thinks that sort of top-down push is essential to make aviation green. Dodd is a researcher at the Adelaide Business School in Australia who focuses on decarbonization. We wouldn't have renewable electricity if it wasn't for government intervention. And, and I think that airlines have been left holding the baby on this one and everybody needs to get behind and support them. But Dodd also stresses more attention from governments starts with more focus from the public. People are not completely aware of the environmental impacts of flying or that there are other options available. And so we need to increase awareness of that. And by doing that, legislators have a stronger mandate to increase regulation, which supports business. Along the way, Dodd adds, it's important not to greenwash and overstate the environmental benefits of existing green options. I feel if you were to look at a whole range of, of websites around sustainable aviation fuel, you would have a false sense of security that things are looking good. This is all positive. We can be carbon neutral. We don't have to make those trade-offs. You know, I think that that's not helpful in the community conversation. Current SAF, Dodd notes, doesn't eliminate carbon from aviation completely. So carbon neutral flying will take more innovation and leadership. But Dodd also says she's optimistic that by 2050, she'll be able to fly on a plane and produce little to no carbon emissions. In the meantime, Manpa says the Telluride Regional Airport aims to increase its SAF usage over the next decade. The airport currently uses a fuel blend that's about 30% SAF. So if we can just keep increasing that, if manufacturing can scale up, we're first in line. There's certainly no shortage of incentives. As climate change intensifies, a warmer world could dent the winter and summer tourism ecosystem that draws planes and passengers to the airport in the first place. The town of Mountain Village will begin accepting applications for its annual community grant program next week. The aim of the grant is to support programs in Mountain Village that foster a healthy community. Town officials point to services that promote health, education, athletics, arts and culture and environment. According to Mountain Village, applicants should show how a proposed program makes significant, measurable, and direct service to Mountain Village residents, businesses, guests, and employees, and supports year-round economic vitality in Mountain Village. The Telluride Foundation administers the application on behalf of the Town of Mountain Village. Applications are available at townofmountainvillage.com grants. Applications open on August 5th. The deadline to apply is 5 p.m. on Friday, September 2nd. Exciting flora and fauna envelop the Box Canyon each summer. And once again, the Wilkinson Public Library is helping the community get out into nature and discover it all. In the final Wednesday walk of the season, Eric Hines will host a Love Your Backyard walking group to learn more about the nature in our backyard. Hines has been fascinated with birds and birding since he was at summer camp in Maine over 30 years ago and heard a common loon. His love for nature and science led him to a degree in environmental studies and wildlife biology. He now owns Box Canyon Birding in Telluride. 
the final Wednesday Love Your Backyard Walking Group will take place on Wednesday, August 3rd from 8 to 10 a.m. The walk will meet at the Lawson Hill Park and Ride for a meander on the west end of the valley floor, so wear sturdy shoes. There will be a final Love Your Backyard walk on Saturday, August 20th. Despite monsoonal rains in full force, the Rocky Mountain region is experiencing more wildfires in the midst of drought and high temperatures. And more of those blazes are being caused by people as population grows. The job of fire investigators has never been more important. They track down the spark that can lead to prosecutions, and their work provides crucial data for studying fire causes. For KZMU and Rocky Mountain Community Radio, Justin Higginbottom speaks with investigators about their large caseload. This spring, volunteers were hard at work near the LaSalle Mountains. They were installing steel netting to capture sediment in Pack Creek. That's to prevent flooding after a massive fire burned nearly 9,000 acres in the area last year. That day, the volunteers were just downstream from the Pack Creek Day Use area. It was there someone's abandoned campfire sparked the blaze. We know that because of the work from our state's fire investigators. Pretty much all the land management agencies investigate 100% of their human-caused fires. That's Nick Howell. He's worked with Utah's Bureau of Land Management as a fire investigator for around 14 years. He says when a fire investigator gets to a scene, which can be challenging in itself in rural and remote areas, they get to work analyzing burn patterns and vectors, macro and micro scale indicators. So basically what that means is when a fire burns, it leaves traces of where it originated. And we, we have a standard methodology that we follow as fire investigators. And um, most of the time we're able to track down, pinpoint down to the square inch of where the fire started. Fire investigators in the state have never been busier. Howell says the number depends on the year. 2020 was especially bad. But the trend is not only more wildfires, but more that are human caused. So far this season, about two thirds of all new fires were started by people either through negligence or just bad luck. All of this is a lot of work for investigators, but for them, it's not just about finding a perpetrator. Not only who caused them, but what caused them. So that statistic is, is important as well, and that's what goes into our fire prevention programs. That information helps authorities know where to focus their educational efforts, for example. Those signs on highways warning about hanging chains, those are the result of investigators finding that sparks from those chains can cause a fire. What they've put in place uh, over the last few years is a very comprehensive data collection system that we can drill down now uh, and determine uh, really with a great deal of granularity what's causing these fires how big the fires are getting, etc. That's Jim Winder. He's the chief investigator with the Department of Natural Resources, Division of Forestry, Fire, and State Lands. He's also the former Moab City Police Chief. He says the data is also important in tracking new trends. For example, as gun ownership in the state has increased, so has fires caused by target shooting. Many people, and I encounter them on a regular basis, don't believe that a 223 rifle fired into, say, uh, a stack of tires can start a fire. When education doesn't work, investigators work with law enforcement to track down who caused the fire. When a person flees without reporting it or doesn't realize they started a wildfire, he says they're pretty good at finding them. 
I don't want to go into too much details, but you can imagine we use uh, we use a variety of resources, and in my opinion, we're we're highly successful at locating people, even in remote areas that have committed these kinds of crimes. Utah Governor Spencer Cox gave a press conference this summer with the Jacob City fire still burning in the background. We're here. Uh, we're here to talk today about fire safety and the five fires that are happening around the state right now. Those fires have burned more than 13,000 acres of land over three days. All but three of the 26 fires that were caused over the weekend were human caused. And he had a warning for Utahns. Let me reiterate, you will be held responsible if you start a fire. You will be held civilly responsible and you may be held criminally responsible if you violate any laws in starting that fire. A suspect was arrested in that blaze for reckless burning and reckless endangerment. Winder says to think of it as a hit and run. If you start a fire, it will be much better for you to report it right away. A lot of the fires I investigate, I'll be honest with you, are you know they're stupid human tricks. They're 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 people doing things they really ought not be doing, and and they're placing, you know, all of us at risk, and they're costing taxpayers significant amount of money. Becoming a fire investigator is a lengthy process. It takes courses and a mentorship program, learning the latest fire science, which is constantly updated. This all can take up to five years. It's a it's it's a very interesting and challenging field, and it takes a lot of time and effort to to be proficient at it. He says there's around 14 investigators statewide currently, and there's a demand for more. Last year, Division of Forestry fired state lands. We had 1,300 fires in the state of Utah. Roughly 60, 70 percent of those are almost every season human caused. You do the math. By the time you extrapolate back the number of criminal prosecutions that are potential in that. We're dealing with hundreds of cases a year. Howell with the BLM explains that in Utah, this work isn't full-time. We don't have people that solely investigate wildfires. Fire investigation for the land management agencies is a collateral duty for most agencies. So yeah, there's, there's, there's a day job associated with the investigators. They rely on firefighters to supplement their training. He's heard that Nevada has one full-time investigator, and he thinks Utah may head in that direction. That is part of our regular conversations on how to appropriately staff qualified and trained fire investigators and not only meet the demands of today, but to meet the demands of the future as our communities continue to grow exponentially. It's a conversation that is getting more desperate. Meanwhile, although investigators found what caused that Pat Creek fire outside of Moab, they don't know who caused it. That will take more work. Justin Higginbottom for Rocky Mountain Community Radio. The National Weather Service forecast for the western San Juans calls for showers and thunderstorms tonight with a low around 50 degrees. Saturday, expect showers and thunderstorms with a high near 70 degrees and a low around 50. Sunday, there's an 80% chance of showers and thunderstorms with a high around 70 degrees. Sunday night calls for mostly cloudy skies with a chance of showers and thunderstorms and a low in the mid-50s. This has been the news for Friday, July 29th. Thanks for listening. If you have a story idea or a news tip, call the news team at 970-728-3206. And now, a personal commentary. Hey, everybody. This is David Nepsky from the town of Telluride. I'm their public information officer, and I have a friendly public service announcement from our finance department, Utility Billing. The town of Telluride is located in a national forest. The community cohabitates with wildlife daily, especially bears. 
Therefore, we need to be aware as a community of specific regional behaviors regarding bears that affect our equilibrium. Most conflicts between people and bears can be traced to easily accessible human food, pet food, garbage, bird feeders, and other attractants. A bear's natural instinct to find food will overpower their wariness of humans. Thus, properly disposing of garbage and correctly securing your polycarts is essential. Please contact Ashley Samuelson, our utility billing contact, at 970-728-2162 if your current polycart is broken, damaged, or malfunctioning. Only contact Ashley if your trash and recycling is managed through the town of Telluride. Please reach out to her with any utility questions or concerns, and remember to be bear aware. Thank you. Opinions broadcast over KOTO are those of the speakers. You are also invited to express your views after the news or on access each weekday at around 4 p.m. If you would like to comment, please contact a staff person here at KOTO. We encourage you to speak out on important public issues.